Hello and welcome back, for those that have come back, to the Technology Roll Revolution. And thank you so much for staying with us on our journey. And um, today we have somebody absolutely flipping amazing. And you're going to think every time I'm going to say they're flipping amazing. And when I don't think they're flipping amazing, I'll just say they're amazing. So, <laughs> Lucy, have we got my show today? Well, Janet, today we are joined by the fantastic Neil Benson, who joins us all the way from Brisbane in Australia. Neil is so well known in the business application space for running really successful Scrum teams in projects. He helps organisations build really successful, agile deliveries of the Power Platform and Dynamics 365 solutions that everyone will love. So, you know, he, he delivers on his promises, I can assure you of that. He's also a massively passionate member of our business applications community and supports all sorts of individuals um, with some of the courses and the, the training academies he, done, he does and he delivers digitally to make everyone aware of the incredible agile scrum nature of successful deliveries. So without further ado, we'll take it over and leave it with Neil. Hi guys, welcome to the Tech Roll Revolution podcast. We're delighted you're taking the time to join us. This afternoon, morning, evening, wherever you're joining us from, I'd like to welcome the absolutely fabulous Neil Benson, joining us all the way from Australia. Um, Neil, we'd love you to start by telling us a little bit about you and why you were keen to join us in the conversation around this topic. Oh, thanks, Lucy. Hi, Janet. Great to be on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm Neil Benson. I'm in Brisbane, Australia. Pleasure and an honour to be on your show. Thanks so much for inviting me. When you reached out to me to ask me to join you on the podcast, you know, there's, in my agile world, there are definitely some, some roles and accountabilities that people have in our projects that don't get talked about an awful lot. And so I'd love to come and join you, share my experience of what those heroes are on my teams and see where we go. Superb. Thank you so much. Neil, so... We, um, if anybody also wants to pick up that Neil does have a Northern Irish accent like mine, just you keep an eye out for it, ear out for it, because I can hear it. But everybody thinks I'm mad. I can hear it, Neil. I can. You're still quite posh from Northern Ireland. So, um, so I need you to speak more. So, what I'm going to do is ask you a lovely question is I really would genuinely love to hear your perspective of why you feel these roles, roles within an IT project, IT implementation, are not valued. Or not valued the same, um, and why some of these roles can be suddenly done without um, or compressed very, very quickly. If, if you know, I don't know if it ever happens to you, but projects um, run out of time. Hey, Janet, what a biggie. How are you? Um, <laughs> I will try and make myself more intelligible than, than usual for the rest of the podcast. So when I'm working in, in business applications projects, one of the most important roles, probably the most important role is what's known as the product owner. So in an agile project, the product owner is accountable for helping us set the product vision. What do they want the product to do? What's the goal of the, of the product? That's the business application that we're building. And they are responsible for sequencing or ordering the product backlog, which is all the work that we're going to do, all the requirements that we're going to meet as we build the business application. In my projects, that's almost always somebody from my customer's organization a senior decision maker who's got the authority to decide what's in, what's out of scope, to decide when they're going to release and when they're going to hold back, um, to decide who they're going to satisfy and who they're going to please and which parts of the organization are maybe going to have to take a back seat in this next release. So it's a really critical 
a role to fulfill. It's one that a Microsoft partner cannot fulfill, I think. Although interestingly, I had a, a customer academy student recently who told me that there were two product owners in one of her team, uh, one from uh, the customer side and one from their side as a Microsoft partner. I don't know how that would work, but there should only be one product owner and they need to have the capacity, the decision-making authority and the vision for making it all happen. And sometimes that role is vacant or we've got the wrong person in the wrong seat or there's too many of them. Uh, too many is just as bad as not enough. Um, so yeah, I'd love to chat further about that if my accent is you know, understandable to you. Lucy, I don't know if coming across okay, speaking Queen's English. You're absolutely queen, as a, a, a clear <laughs> as a bell. Don't you worry about that at all. And we can always sort out subtitles. If not, don't worry. <laughs> but actually, you, you lead me quite nicely on to our next question, which was not just the roles that you feel are really required within the delivery of a successful implement, implementation, but how do you feel those those really required roles are valued differently by an implementation partner and an end user organization? How do you see that that value balance shifting between those two counterparts? Uh, so it's interesting that you know, when we start that dance with an implementation partner, a customer, you know, there's some kind of procurement exercise going on. I think as an implementation partner, particularly with customers who maybe don't have a lot of experience with business applications, it's up to us, it's up to the, our community to help educate our customer about what's required, about the importance of change management and the fact that it's going to blow up and all your money is going to get wasted if you neglect it. Um, that product ownership is critical and we're going to go nowhere very quickly if you don't invest in the right person in that role. And so I, I take it upon myself to help educate the customer as we're going through it. Um, quite often they're, they're just throwing lots of project managers at us. You know, sometimes you can have too much project management and not enough product ownership, not enough change management, not enough subject matter experts, not enough business stakeholders. So I kind of push back. Sometimes when customers have got the wrong people in the wrong seats or they're not in the right roles. And in some instances, I'll, I'll just pull out and just withdraw and say, look, I'm not sure you're set up for success and we can't afford to be involved in unsuccessful projects. Here's a recommendation. If you want to change your mind, um, come back to us. But you know, um, some partners will take it on regardless. I, I just, I'm too old for, for that kind of carry on. Uh, I've done that too many times before and tried to make it work. Um, we'll maybe talk some stories about when it hasn't worked um, and uh, yeah, what, what the consequences were. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more there, to be honest, Neil. And, and having come from the partnership ecosystem, there have definitely been times when my recommendation has been to no go, pull out. Let's come back to it in 12 months time when, you know, everyone's in a different position. And I suppose yeah. just pulling on the, the product owner point that we mentioned, I completely agree with you. I think that kind of ownership, that drive, that authority to be able to take a product or a solution forward is completely valuable. But I do think it's probably a role that certainly those that are implementing business application solutions are perhaps new to. What soft skills, whatever we want to call them, soft skills, personal skills, unique attributes in a person do you think are vital for a product owner? Okay, so product owner might be an unusual phrase for some customers, certainly, and even for some Microsoft partners. It's a role or an accountability from the Scrum framework, lots of agile practitioners will be familiar with it. But if you're not, a product owner, um, like I said, is that person who's accountable for setting the goal, organizing the product backlog, and ensuring that the value of the product is maximized. Soft skills that they need to have, I think the best product owners I've worked with are um, 
great at understanding their organization. They've got the political skills. They know who's who, who's got authority, who's got um, the most important requirements, uh, who they need to keep happy. So they really understand their stakeholders across the organization and they're able to influence those stakeholders. They know when they can defer some requirements from the finance department, even though the CFO is going to be upset for a couple of sprints or, or a release. And um, they know that the VP of sales will get a lot of value out of this new quoting feature. So that needs to go to the top of the backlog. So they've got that kind of ability to, to sell their vision internally um, and get all their stakeholders on board. So that kind of political experience is fantastic. That's perhaps why I've seen a contract product owner only once in my career, um, Frida at the University of New South Wales. She was awesome though, because she had been on several projects with the university and she still knew the organization really well, even though she was technically not an employee of the university. Um, she still had that organizational experience and could bring that to bear. Sounds like a good balance. Yeah, uh, you need to have that knowledge of the organization. You also need to um, be really good at influencing the development team, selling your vision to them, making sure you're a great communicator, talking about the requirements, what, what the value of a requirement is so that devs really get it and understand what it is you're trying to achieve. Not so much the technical detail. None of the great product owners I've worked with knew Dynamics 365 before we started. Um, none of them knew Scrum or the Agile approach before we started. But we can coach people pretty easily. We can give them Dynamics training at the start of the project. We can um, coach them in the option of Scrum as we go along. I don't think those are necessary attributes. Um, but it's really having that decision-making authority. Uh, I've seen people who are maybe uh, too junior, um, but who understand the organization, but they're too junior. So whatever decisions they make get contradicted um, by somebody more senior later on, and suddenly the development team doesn't know who to answer to. You know, if the chief exec pops her head in on a Thursday afternoon and says, this is the most important thing you guys should be working on, the developer sh should say, please tell the product owner. She's the only person with authority to sequence the backlog. Um, the chief exec can't do that. So that, that's a pretty tough call for any product owner, um, but the devs certainly shouldn't be answering to the CEO. It feels to me like there could be a really good Venn diagram of skills there, right? I mean, the crossover of authority, capability, uh, ability to influence, et cetera. Sorry, Janet. One of the things I want to say, Neil, what you said was very, very brave, is you said that you can't be associated with an unsuccessful project of things that you can't be influencing, i.e. the customer's behavior. That was a really brave thing to do. And it's a word that's not bounced around an awful lot. And the word is success. Um, you you knew potentially on that road that you're on a road to, this isn't going to go well and my name's attached to it and I don't like it and I can do it, all I can do is fix it, try to fix it. And if not, it's a very brave thing to walk away. Um, but what what is success for you, Neil, in a project? Um, my success is really just achieving my customer achieving their outcomes. Uh, everything else is is a bonus. You know, if if we're still um, profitable at the end of the project, that's great too. Um, but really, the, the the customer achieving their business outcomes is, is everything. That's why we're here. And so, whatever we can do to be successful there, and and, and to achieve that, of course, you need user adoption. You need great functionality. You need the data migration to be intact. You need the, the systems integration to be working. You need the system to be error-free. So there are lots of technical things that go in support of those outcomes, which is you know, increased efficiency, better effectiveness of their teams, um, 
and then uh, you know, hitting revenue goals or profitability goals or reducing costs or improving their own customer satisfaction scores and you know, those kind of business outcomes. Customers are achieving that. Um, everything else is worthwhile. So I'm going to give you a follow-up question um, um, to that, which is how, do the how does the customer know they've achieved their goals and their successes? Because in my industry that I've worked in and my role in previous um, organizations, very rarely do they actually write it down and very rarely do they actually check on it. So over to you. That's a tough one, Jenna. It's not done really well most of the time. For example, I'm working with a not-for-profit organization here in Brisbane. They're a membership-based organization and their vision is to replace their existing open source, old CRM, it's no longer supported. Okay, that doesn't sound really exciting. Replace the old CRM. That's not, I'm not going to leap out of bed to help you replace the old CRM. Tell me about your members. Oh, we've got 500 members and they're on an annual membership. How many of them renew every year? Good question. I need to look it up, but I think it's about 60%. Oh, 60%. So all that work you do to attract new members, you're losing 40% of members every year. What if we could help you retain 90% of members every year? Oh, that'd be awesome. Okay, well, that's a great product goal. Let's go and shoot for that. Um, if they were to improve their customer or member retention from 60% a year to 90% a year, that would easily, easily pay for the cost of implementing Microsoft Dynamics 365, even with all the generous not-for-profit discounts that Microsoft offers. Um, and that would be a, a great feat for the organization to achieve and allow them to go on to do the rest of their mission. So that's the, the goal that we've set. Um, and you know, we'll see over the next 12 months whether or not we get there. Well, I'm delighted to actually hear that you are encouraging your customers to define goals of what success looks like because often people don't know they've got there as long as it's working and people appear to be using it. Tag, that's it. But really, really chuffed to hear that. And um, I think you know, this is why you are a leader in the industry. Um, one of the other questions we're just going to follow on with is roles that you, you've explained to us. Why do you think certain roles have different values? Bearing in mind, it takes everybody to get the, the engine of the car to get going. Why do people feel that like, um, different roles can be dropped or that they can be squeezed? Um, what's your thoughts on that? One of the things I love about the way I've been working over the last 10, 15 years using an agile approach is that we've got a very consistent team from day one right through the course of the project. Um, recent example was with a superannuation fund here in Australia. They're in, they're in Melbourne. Um, superannuation is Australia's um, individual retirement accounts. So think of your, um, you know, your retirement pension or something that you're investing in. So, so it's mandatory here in Australia. All employers have to put money into your fund. Um, so it's a big industry. And this organization, uh, we've been working with them since last October. They had um, a scrum master, a product owner, CRM system administrator, a team of subject matter experts, and a change manager all sitting on their side of the project. We had a um, development team sitting on our side of the project and it went wonderfully well. One of the great things about that project is that the training team, the change management team, the folks doing the data migration, who sometimes are left to the end and, and testing as well. And let's not forget our, our uh, Fred Sherat who did all the testing for us. So um, we had a consistent team from day one, from the very first sprint involved in the project right until go live. We didn't wheel in change management, you know, at the 11th hour and say, over to you. Um, I've seen that approach work 
but it's stressful and sometimes you know budgets get stretched and they the change piece gets dropped testing comes under pressure developers are asked to finish off six months work in two months and it's not going to get tested we're just going to go live with it and hope for the best and um the users will have to go with a training guide that was you know, half of it was written a year ago and hope for the best that's awful awful so um <laughs> Janet, I don't know. You're, you're wincing like you don't know. I'm, talk if I'm talking out of my, my hat or. Oh my God. No, I'm literally going. I had to turn myself on mute because I was laughing and going, oh my goodness, I hear this all the time. My biggest bugbear, and Lucy knows this, is it's the change team. Are, they're, they're like the secret squirrel. They're hidden in a separate room. <laughs> and uh, the amount of projects I've been on, and I'm like, so how do you. I get brought in to look at the change and I'm going, so have we got the product? No, no, we haven't seen it yet. Uh, you're going live in two weeks. I know, um, but hopefully we might see it tomorrow, but we've got, uh, we've got a manual. <laughs> and I don't, I literally want to go squeaky bum time. No. Anyway, sorry, I digress. Over to you, Luce. No, I can totally empathise. And having been part of that change team that's been wheeled in at the 11th hour with a nasty old, manual that's two years old i can totally emphasize anyway so that sounds like a an example of something that's gone really right and you know it's sort of textbook deployment consistent team everyone's super happy but flip it over on the other side what have you learned from an example of a project implementation where something's gone really quite wrong and you've kind of had to rectify it do i, do I have to if janet can get away with, with saying squeaky bum live on air then I guess I can air my dirty laundry. If you don't mind. <laughs> uh, not that there's any correlation between squeaky bums and dirty. Oh my goodness, where are we going? Um, back to the University of New South Wales, working on their really successful, um, it's called the Insight Project, went really well. So building Dynamics 365 marketing and customer service for their future student and current student teams. Big three-year transformation. It's going really well. University IT popped their head in and said, look, we've got this other project. We're building these apps for finance and HR. Could you get another scrum team together and do it on Dynamics, maybe with a, a portal? Um, of course we can, like we're awesome. We'll just create another scrum team, build these apps on, on uh, probably would have been Power Apps portals at the time. And we failed like after probably four months, project was canceled. Um, uh, the last invoice, we sent them, we had to write it off, cancel it. It was you know, not an insignificant amount of money. Uh, my first ever failure working for that particular Microsoft partner, uh, very embarrassing, uh, squeaky bum time, for sure, for sure. Uh, <laughs> Super painful. And, you know, when I look back on it, one of the accusations that the last project manager, so they had a series of project managers looking after this project, the last one who did the audits and canceled it said, Neil, you know, with all your experience, you should have known better. This project did not have success written all over it. It was at risk very early and you should have called it. You should have brought it to our attention and escalated it until we agreed with you. And he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. And so that's really embarrassing to admit, but we had no clear product owner, no clear vision. We had very, very detailed user interface designs done by a UX design consultancy. And Power Apps isn't really you know, pixel perfect um user interface it's very rapid to create forms and views and things but it's you know if you want to throw up something really custom you're better to go with a custom mobile app or something and hook into the dataverse apis today 
I'd say Power Apps is better now, but it's still it's not what you would use for pixel perfect design if if every single screen mattered. So um, you know there, there were lots of warning signs, and I let the team try and dig us out through heroic custom development, and we didn't make it. We had to cancel that one. So yeah, it doesn't always go perfectly. But I think it's really important to reflect on those situations, right? You you know, and and quite eye opening to see that the project manager was kind of pushing back on you to say, come on, Neil, you should have known. That really is, in a way, a compliment, I guess. Um, <laughs> now let's let's turn the table around and um, focus on a little bit more of a positive uh, topic now. So every week, just for a bit of fun, we have a recurring segment in our show that we like to call the Unexpected Talent Show. I was saying we don't have a jingle yet, but we might at some point. <laughs> anyway, in this segment, we invite our guests like you, Neil, to showcase a hidden talent or share a quirky skill or a hobby or anything unusual that you possess. And we are super keen to hear yours. We always tell our audience that we keep this as a complete surprise. So our reactions are genuine. <laughs> so go ahead, Neil. Oh, okay. So my my love of Lego building isn't a surprise or unexpected hobby. I'm not going to go there. I've got the wonderful Lego behind me. Most of me, my kids built most of this. Uh, I love building Lego with my kids. Have you guys, do you get Lego Masters in the UK? Um, it's an we Australian TV Australian show. We get Australian Lego Masters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we have our own brick pit. It's just outside my studio here. It's like three walls of Lego bricks and big cabinets. Most of it's on the floor, actually. But um, uh, So we've got our own brick pit. We love building Lego. But my my passion, the, the, something I picked up mostly during COVID, I did a bit before COVID, was making pizzas from scratch. If I wasn't in business applications, I'd love to make pizzas. I'd love to own a pizza restaurant. I don't, I don't know if I'd love doing it for a living, but uh, it takes me two days to make the dough. Um, I bought a pizza oven, so it takes about 25 minutes um, to fire up the wood and charcoal and get that going. And then I make, I make flame-baked pizza in, in the pizza oven outside. That sounds incredible. Since, um, since I bought the pizza oven in COVID, in 2021, I've probably made about a thousand pizzas. Uh, I make a, probably eight or ten pizzas every other weekend, and I love it. That's incredible. I like the fact that you might have like a roller counter of number of pizzas you're making. <laughs> so, I've uh, just two questions to follow up with that. Is first of all, what's your waist size like now since you've had the pizza oven with the size of the amount of pizzas you've eaten? Because <laughs> you were very slim the last time I saw you pre-COVID. Well, I'm not going to stand up because I've got my working from home pants on. So, um, <laughs> which my, my wife reckons I also look like a pizza chef pants. Sorry, pa pants, pants, is, pants or trousers. Uh, sorry, I picked up the Australian lingo. Um, yeah. Um, uh, so my waist size is still pretty good. I still go running. I, I ran home from Brisbane City today. So, it's, you know, I, I still try and maintain my weight a little bit. Yeah, I'll have to work hard at that. I very much wish I could say the same. <laughs> no, me, 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 me. I, I, I think we're just, I'm going to go with cuddly these days. But also, Neil, um, if I came to Australia, would you meet my favourite pizza, which is anchovies, capers and boiled egg? For sure. I got it randomly by mistake once and it is gorgeous. They're my three least favourite pizza toppings. I'm sorry, mate. We don't disagree on much, but this is the time. <laughs> I accidentally ordered the wrong pizza. And this arrived, and now I'm obsessed. But anyway, listen, let's not talk about boiled egg or pizzas. Neil, you are a legend. You're a legend <laughs> in Dynamics. You've always been a legend in Dynamics. And um, that's one of the reasons that Lucy and I always wanted you. Thank you so much. 
for arriving in your pizza pants to to do this lovely <laughs> podcast with us and giving really good advice. And I hope you don't mind me saying you've been at this game a long time. That's why but, I'm in Lisbon they call me a leg end, Janet. <laughs> For those that people don't know, Lisbon's quite posh in Northern Ireland, just so you know. It's not. Uh, it is. Uh, but listen, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for all your encouragements that you've given Lucy and I. And um, we've absolutely loved having you. And thanks for all the advice you've given everybody on the podcast of the Technology Role Revolution. Oh, Janet, Lucy, the pleasure's been all mine. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. Bye, Thank darling. You.